Blog Talk Radio. Because I know that this guest is going to speak to many of you out there who are ready to listen. And I would like you to just put yourself in an open space to hear. Um, the person I'm about to bring on the show is Jeff D. Nixa. And Jeff is going to be sharing some very powerful wisdom from his book, The Lost Art of Heart Navigation, a Modern Shaman's Field Manual. And I know that many of you who are home at this time of year, in fact, I am going to say something about this time of year that I know very well from the corporate world. In fact, I just saw on the news this morning, GE is laying off, I think, 12,000 people. This time of year, you may find yourself unexpectedly at home listening to us today. I was one such person, although part of my own path is somewhat complex to describe. But this show today can help us, can help you to open up to seeing the path to which you are truly called. And it is a process. But that opening today is important. Jeff has a rather remarkable background. Those of you out there in the audience who come perhaps from a conservative um, Christian background, I came from from that background, um, may at first hear that word shaman, and that may seem a little frightening at first. I want you to open up and get get beyond any pre-definition you might have in your head. Because Jeff has a background theologically as well as flowing into shamanism. He has a background in the corporate world as a lawyer, and he's done many things. He's had a fascinating path, which we will talk about. And um, he 
since went on in 2010, founded Great Plains Shamanic Programs, and um, through that he offers um, a great array of things that really all have to do with healing and growing, classes, counseling, wilderness trips, outdoor retreats, university classes too. We are all connected no matter where we are. And the website for both Great Plains, which is greatplainsguide.net, and also Jeff's blog, urbanshamanism.org, with a dash in between, it's there on the page. You can follow when you have some time to explore. So without further delay, I am just really very joyful. I think that's the right word today to bring Jeff on the program. Hello, Jeff. Welcome to the show. Hello, Susan. Thank you for the lovely introduction. I just really get a kick out of the the delight of the sparkle in your own voice. It's like having Christmas lights strung on the little biography of my life (laughs) as you were telling about it. It was fun (laughs) to see it and hear it through your eyes and uh, perspective. Thank you. Oh, well, that's a really nice way of saying it. And and truthfully, um, perhaps the biography itself is reflective of, of some of the things that your life has reflected and what you teach is, is really it was a free-flowing from the heart. Um, and um, it's very... It's hard for me anymore sometimes to read an introduction. <laughs> I, I, I just I just have to just let it flow. And today in particular, Jeff, um, I, I really do feel and and I will say, you know, those of you out there in Blog Talk Radio Land, there's a diverse audience that comes to this show, especially since today. Um, I'm thankful that that the the network has highlighted us and. Um, you know, my corporate side, you know, wants to say, hey, you know, we've been, you know, the ones that, that want to be, you know, first in the class and everything, we always want <laughs> to try for that. But I, I'm going to try to get around that part of myself because I have still that part and and just say I know that there are, those of you listening out here, come to us, you know, openly and listen and just share this space together because um, many people may be hearing some of these concepts for the first time. Hmm. Yeah, thank you. And that's, I'm good at anything. It's kind of um, making complicated or esoteric things uh, a little more understandable because that's what I needed. (laughs) Not because I'm so smart, but this book, I hope is it's a book for anyone. It's not an academic book. It's not a scholarly, not intended as a scholarly book. So um, I, I, I hope it's a very friendly introduction to some of this, as well as, as today on your show. I, I'll do my best. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? You have the perfect opening to your book, which I just laughed when I saw it. In fact, um, just, just this one sentence, I wasn't looking for a shaman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and, and maybe that's an excellent entryway into the show. Um, so... So tell us, Jeff, how did you come to this path? Yeah, isn't that sort of the way spirit works? You know, I spent uh, up till 2009 most of my adult life on a intense search for um, my my place, my my 
my medicine, we would say, in the world, yeah. you know, what my particular gifts and not just what my gifts were, but what would be the application of those in the in the real world. And, man, did I struggle. And it wasn't like I didn't have a good education. I had a fine education um, in graduate school. I had a nice, solid family, you know, a church. I was raised a Roman Catholic young man. And so, you know, in terms of at least our dominant society, I had all the things that supposedly one needs to be happy. And the only problem was I was not happy. I was feeling lost. And um, as the book tells a little bit about my story, I found myself in graduate school and law school right there in Portland, Oregon at Lewis and Clark Law School, actually. I don't say that in the book. but uh, and, and like within a day or two, I had this strong uh, sort of, not so great feeling that I was in the wrong place. And this just terrified me because I had moved all the way out there from Minnesota. I had taken out loans. I had quit my job. I had, you know, left family and friends and everybody was, yay, Jeff's going to go to law school and do great things. And and almost immediately I had this sense that this was not for me. Um, Part of that was my fault. I mean, it was a logical decision because my undergraduate degree was political science and international studies, so a lot of my peers were going into law, and I wanted to do good things and had big ideas of being like a social uh, activist, you know, and helping good causes. So that was a logical direction. The only problem was it had nothing to do with my particular deep skill set, my gifts, again, I would say my medicine and my calling. So in other words, I was letting my rational uh, mind lead my life. And rational thought and intellect can do a lot of things, but you can't let it lead your life because it doesn't have a compass. It just, it just uh, crunches numbers and it, it analyzes and only the heart, only our spirit side can really tell us what we want and, and, and where we're invited to go in this world. So this whole book is basically a little manual of exactly what I would have needed, what I wish I would have known about my own self. I would have been so much more compassionate toward myself and patient and less judgmental. Like for the whole time, I thought there was something wrong with me because everyone around me seemed to be content with what they were doing and there was nothing wrong with the legal profession and on and on. So I, as I say in the book, it turned out that the problem was simply that half of my navigational capacities were offline, meaning what I call in the book the, the navigational guidance system of the heart. And just, uh, so the book is uh, intended to be a very practical um, field manual. I use that phrase very carefully, field manual, you know, like, like the kind yeah. of book that uh, the military soldiers in the field are given to, you know, like fix a broken a- uh, axle <laughs> or repair a weapon or set a snare for an animal, you know, to like things you need in actual life. It's, it's, it's not just uh, concepts and collected histories and so on. So I want it to be helpful to people. Well, and it is in the way that you present it. Um, it it's more than a toolkit. I want to say it's a toolkit, but it's not that. It, it, it's a, it, it flows through a series of exercises and, you know, it invites um, spending time, with it, in fact, that's that's been my feeling with the book is that I know I need to spend much more time with it because it, it's the kind of book 
you know, you don't just pick up and read and it gives you 10 different points and, you know, this is what you need. You yeah. know, that's it. Yeah. It, it, it asks it asks for a space of exploration. Um and and yes. and I know it, it calls to people there's there's a point, Jeff, towards the beginning where and, and I wanted to capture this because I know I've gone through this and I know multiple other people have. Um and this often happens if you do walk away from um your profession, whatever that may be. And, and a lot of my listeners know that um, I I was in the computer science world, and I still integrate mm-hmm. that, and I can't say I fully – I mean, for me, there's always that – well, I, I, I'm going to refer to a concept in your book that's not – we haven't talked to you about when you have red lights, green lights, and yellow lights in your life. But uh-huh. it's not this, not this feeling. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, this may be a good time to talk about you know, how do we, we know, we actually know when we're experiencing what you talk about symbolically as these green lights, these red lights, and these yellow lights. And the yellow lights are the tricky ones for me. because <laughs> It's like I never quite know what those mean. But could, I wonder if you could, could flow into that a bit, Jeff, because I know um, that's been a part of the process for all of us. Yes, what you're referring to is a little introductory exercise. I forget what I call it in the book, but it's something like, you know, just an introduction to the navigational sort of feel uh-huh. of your of your of your of this of your heart. And and this word heart I use, you know, it's a, it's a code word, but it it refers to our deep soul self, our core of aliveness, our our heart, our 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 soul, you might say, in a Judeo-Christian sense. And so I have this little exercise inviting people to simply first imagine someone they love to be with, you know, and and getting real clear on the feeling of that and where it is in their body, and then shift to imagining a person they can hardly stand to be in the room with, maybe someone who's hurt them or wounded them, and then get very clear on specifically the physical sensations that go with that, not just the emotions. And then to go back to the first person and to do that a few times. And, and that then is, it's a very simple, you know, kind of artificially binary experience, but it makes the point that there is a shift and it's more than just emotion. You feel this in your body. And one of the big resistances I've found in my one-on-one work with people is they don't, it's not that they don't understand about intuition, especially women. It's that they don't Uh trust it especially yeah. if they've trusted it in the past and it's led them, say, into a relationship that turned out bad or a decision. And so they dump the whole thing, you know. And the book talks about that, that the, the so-called heart navigation is not just intuition. It's not just <laughs> hormones. It's not just feelings. It's a very complex system. I devote a whole chapter to giving a, a more uh, in-depth sense of what the heart is from a more traditional indigenous sense of, you know, it's, it's deep connection to nature, our nature, the nature around us. So um, the, the green light, yellow light, red light, that's just a little symbolism I use to give us. It's like driving through traffic, you know, and say you're stuck in traffic. That's your regular life. And then one day as you're driving down the road through town, you realize all these lights, traffic lights are synchronized and if you slow down or speed up to the right velocity 
you magically pass through the entire town light by light because you're going with uh, the synchronization. And that, for me, is a simple but accurate um, little description of what it feels like to be on the heart path, as I describe it in the book. is It's the same life <laughs> with the same difficulties and traffic and so on, but you can align yourself to a greater uh, wisdom and um, process than just your own little behind the steering wheel. And if you do that, it's fun. It, you, <laughs> you still got to get yes. up in the morning, you know, and take yes. care of your kids and let yes. the dog out. But it doesn't have to be this battle where you're constantly cursing and trying to, you know, what's the next darn thing I need to do and what's the next thing and you collapse in your bed at the end of the evening exhausted. You know, life doesn't have to be like that. And our indigenous ancestors knew that. And from the time a child was, you know, able to talk, they began helping children understand this. But it's only our <laughs> advanced society that's completely lost track of this and dismissed it as, um, oh, poetic or nonsense or um, uh, you know, unscientific. So that's the red, the, the red light. I should just say a little more about that is those times in your life, you know, were like when I was in law school, like, Oh my gosh, there's just big resistance. And it wasn't that words came to me. I didn't get a telegram <laughs> saying no more law school, try something else. It was a deep feeling. It was kind of like a yeah. toothache, you know, a low level toothache that you could still function I still went to classes, and I still had friends, and I still did all the work, but it was this ache that wouldn't go away. You know, there's something wrong in that metaphor, like with my body. There's something wrong with my tooth. And you can ignore it, but bad things happen <laughs> in the long run. So that's like the red light. The green light is like sailing through town and synchronized lights. And then there's an in-between path. It's not, you know, simple, easy, or hard. It's just times when you're not sure. More of an right. indecisive, like, caution so that's built into that little example of the three-colored traffic lights. Yeah, and it seems we need to listen to that, too. Sometimes I have, t I have trouble myself, and I'm sure others do as well, interpreting those, um, those experiences that are they're somewhat ambiguous. I think the way you put it, you phrased it, an unclear hesitancy. And that, that really um, captured it for me. It's just that... And, and I, we have to listen to those, too. And, and, and you say to just, just wait. I guess we need to be patient with ourselves. You know, the modern world, Jeff, is, is described, I mean, everything is always all in a rush. I mean, we're rushing, 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 especially this time of year um, often. Yeah, and, yeah. And we never, we never even slow down to, to listen to anything. I mean, you're just on this, you can be on this um uh, almost living life by rote at some point. I mean, it can be like that, too, where you're just going through the motions, but you're racing through them. And and there can be joy in the midst of it. It's not like, you know, um, but you know that something's wrong, you know, when, 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 yes. that's, when that's happening. And that's more the, the red light. The yellow lights are just more... I don't know. I guess it can be our fears also. In fact, there's a good question for you. For for me, the reason why it's so hard for me to work through this, and you've worked with so many people, is it's hard for me sometimes 
to interpret that's my own fear speaking that's casting ambiguity onto a situation or the voices of others that are not me that are projecting into it, um, you know, who are living more in the the mind space um, versus, you know, if I just listen. This is a long question, but I was going to ask you about (laughs) the wild parts, and I know it's related. There. It takes courage sometimes to follow, not just sometimes, to follow our wild hearts. You use that term, our wild hearts. Help us with that. Yeah, it sure does, you know, and that's why traditionally in terms of world myths and spirituality, it's seen as a hero or heroine's journey. We're basically talking about the archetypal spiritual journey of transformation that we're all invited to go through why we're here so to speak in one way is is to break free of the trance in our modern life the trance is just this busyness you're talking about especially this holiday season and we just complain and say we're busy and yeah and i you know kind of whining and going out for coffee with other people who are too busy. But in a in an indigenous um view, it's more than being too busy. It's a trance. It's it's you can't not be too busy. And then it gets pretty serious, you know, this is not a game. You know, that we are trapped. If if you are not free to sit down and breathe and not rush to the next thing, then you're not running your life. It's like that. If you aren't able to call the shots moment by moment of how you're spending your time, who you're with, whether you're rushing or not, then someone else or something else is running your life. And that may sound a little, you know, grandiose or overly stated, but it's like that. And and as you were hinting at, uh, most of this comes from inside ourselves. There's no one holding a gun to our head or threatening us physically most of the time. It's we're doing this to ourselves. That's the really sort of stunning and um, jaw-dropping pain point that we all need to come to at some point is to stop blaming <laughs> the lawyers or the traffic or our ex-partner or whatever we're blaming our stress on and look at how we do this to ourselves. So it does take courage, getting back to tremendous courage, the hero, the courage of a hero or heroine facing the dragon, so to speak. And the thing is, the dragon is in the cave of your own heart. It's not around us. It's, it's that fear of holding still long enough to ask, what is really going on here? Why am I running around so crazy when all I really want to do is curl up with a good book and a cup of tea and my cat or to just go on a long drive through this beautiful starry night? What is it? And that's basically what the whole book is about, is using more traditional ways to get at what maybe a modern psychologist would call our shadow side, you know, or our unconscious. And it's always been the same struggle throughout humankind, but we've lost these ancient time-tested tools. And, and this book is an attempt to bring back to a popular audience some practical but powerful ways to get clear on, A, what our dragons are, our so-called inner demons and fears that we're running away from constantly, and then, B, what to do about them. So that's the practical side of the book, is I don't just want people to learn about shamanic history and cultures. I want them to change their life 
<laughs> to put it bluntly, so the hope the book is a call to action and not just an interesting read with some information that you just set down and forget about. And that's right. quite a bit to ask for the book. So I'm delighted that you're reading it slowly because you can't cruise through this book quickly. It's not written like that. No, the the kind of preparation like I would do to, to talk with you is much different than the kind of experience that your book invites um, in terms of mm. um, is it's a it's a wor- I, I don't I hate to call it a workbook because that there's no label yeah. for this book. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's something you just have to spend time with it. I, I guess that's the best way I can put it. But you know something in the book that there's a point in your own experience, and and this this got me. It's you know we have a tendency to think Jeff when we're caught up in that corporate rush and it can often be in that situation that um we have to do this we have to do this because mm. if we yeah. don't do this look what would happen you know we have to yeah. do it and yeah. um and then and we also tend to have an illusion of security in this and you know mm-hmm. a lot of people have learned that 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 is an illusion and so so when it does take stepping outside of it, and I think you help us to do this, to realize, you know, where is that coming from? Where is that really coming from? Those mm-hmm. voices telling us, you have to do this. You have to be just exhausted at the end of the day. I will, I used to be exhausted. I mean, totally spent. There are days now where some people would consider them very busy, but, mm-hmm. um, but also they contain pockets of not busyness for me too, but there's not that total spentness, you know, just you come home and oh, and you're just, you know, and then you got to get up the next day. And so, <laughs> and, and and when you're caught in that, it is a trap. If that's how it feels, there's something wrong. Yeah, you're making me think of a story I wish I would have put in the book, but it was kind of a turning point for me. Um, I had wonderful um, years in healthcare. I spent most of my career in healthcare as a professional hospital chaplain and also at, at times with hospice and uh, in extended care, but most of it was in big hospital trauma centers in big cities. And one day uh, toward the end of my healthcare career, I had been working a long time on some project that I was really motivated to do. I was creating a volunteer uh, spiritual care program where we'd train people to come into the hospital and then uh, also teach them some simple body work techniques so that, for example, a volunteer could go into a waiting room and provide a very simple neck and shoulder massage for stressed out family members, you know, waiting for someone in surgery or in an emergency room. And it was just, you know, really threw myself into it. I put many hours into this and it just seemed a no brainer to me. We even figured out ways to pay for it where each unit would, you know, um, pull some miscellaneous money. So it wasn't even a big budget item for the hospital. Anyways, I did all this presented to my supervisor and she just kind of looked at it and said, yeah, you know, this isn't in our strategic plan for the hospital. So we're not going to do this. And uh-huh. I thought, I mean, you know, my ego was stung, but, but deeper than yeah. that was like, holy cow, I spent all this time creating this new thing that could easily work. That wasn't the question. Yeah. It was just wasn't the way they wanted to, you know, structure 
how things were going in the hospital. So I thought if I worked half of this this hard on my own project, I wouldn't need this job here. And there was a little light bulb that kind of went off, like what if I put this much stress and effort and passion into something I really wanted to do and I didn't have to get someone's permission. <laughs> and here I am wow. 10 years later now. I've completely walked away from structured conventional roles and I'm doing my own thing. And that didn't happen overnight, certainly. But I have a beautiful yeah. array of work ranging from one-on-one counseling to group programs and things you mentioned in your intro. So your beautiful question, you know, this feeling that we have to do this, my, I mean, my first response is, well, do you? You know, whose yes. voice is that? And yes. and second of all, well, you know, we do have to do some things in life, like make a living, but why not do something you love? <laughs> you know, the kind of thing where you would do it whether you were getting paid for it or not. And the payment is just a little added benefit. So the book is very much about aligning your external life to your internal passion. And that's a real basic indigenous sort of traditional way to try to live one's life instead of trying to cram our time and energy and passion into an existing box out there, you know, as a software engineer or as a teacher or as an attorney. What if you designed your life based on who you are at your deepest core and then looked out there in the world and said, is there something that matches me? (laughs) If so, great, go for that job. But if not, create it, create it carefully, slowly, but and how few people feel they even have that, you know, that sounds so radical, I'm sure, and so perhaps irresponsible to some of your listeners. But, hey, it's the right. only game in town, you know. I mean, why not live a life of joy? <laughs> it's worth the effort. That's all I'll say. You know, <laughs> and, and you'll find, too, that, um, you know, part of what drives some of those corporate lifestyles is our our consumer environment and our there are a lot of things that we spend money on that if we let it go we find out we really didn't need to worry about you know we didn't need those oh, things yes. <laughs> I mean I yes. I never that too much but um you know I wasn't into like designer shoes or anything like that a lot of people are um but but really it doesn't take much to have a happy life. Now, you do need a, a reasonable roof over your head and things like that, and you want to take care of your family. And But um, we really are are driven by by motivations that we don't, do you really need, you know, that really expensive car? Or, you know, um, years ago I had an Acura. You know, did I need an Acura? No. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. We thought we needed an Acura. <laughs> but did we? Not really. So, so you know, you find out what are you sacrificing? What are you sacrificing for the Acura? You know, and and so, so that's another part of it. Yeah, it's interesting. You're making me think of the, the thing that really turned me around in my whole life story. I briefly allude to in the book is a vision quest I did in 2009. Yes. A vision quest is a traditional ceremony where you go out into a wilderness area. And you fast and you pray for several days, no food, no water, and you pray for a vision for your life. And it was typically done at times, big decision points in a person's life or in adolescence, you know, where one is coming into adulthood, trying to find your path and your medicine in the world. And 
And what came to me during this vision quest on a beautiful wilderness island in northern Michigan was a single word, but it hit me between the eyes like a freight train. And the word was simplify, simplify. And for me, at that point in my life, it, it was like pulling out, everything collapsed egoically when I got it because I was doing too much. I was, and it was all good stuff. That's the craziness. I was working a full-time job. I was working two part-time jobs. I was taking care of a mother with Parkinson's disease that we just moved into our town. I was the uh, president of a volunteer bicycle advocacy uh, organization in my town trying to promote healthy lifestyles. And, and this was all good stuff I was doing, but it was too much. And I, yeah. I couldn't say no because there was, there was no such thing as too much in my family. <laughs> I, I get honestly from two parents who were chronic, you know, uh, do everything people and never sat down. And so in this vision quest, it, you know, my, I went into the vision quest sort of asking spirit for an answer, sort of like, tell me how to better organize my busy life so I can be less stressed. And what came to me was you need to burn the whole thing down brother (laughs) and rebuild with the essentials which for me meant of course taking care of my mother and one job and I came home from that vision quest and I got on the computer it was like two in the morning and I started composing resignation emails and every time I would hit the send button to a volunteer group I was with or a committee or a book study club it felt so good it was like having a piano lifted off my chest and (laughs) I was asking, like, why didn't I do this before? But for whatever reason, I couldn't see the trance that I was in. So, yeah, this question of do we feeling we have to do all this, as you said earlier, and then realizing it doesn't take that much to be happy, that's the insanity of it is we're working so hard to feed our possessions, right? We get a new vehicle, yeah. now you get more insurance to cover the vehicle and maybe a new garage to house the vehicle, and it's endless. And, and we lose our life. We lose our soul. That's a shamanic uh, concept is soul loss. We lose parts of our vital energy when we're not on the beam of what's important. So you're right on target there, Susan. It doesn't take much to <laughs> well, do that. Well, I, I, I see this page. You know, I'll tell you. I, I have to tell a quick story. Then we have to go into shamanism. But... Um, Okay. I, I have to tell the story of, of my house really quick because I used to have this really, it was my dream house. I got it, mm-hmm. you know, I was moving up the corporate ladder and, you know, mm-hmm. I got transferred out here, got this beautiful home that I love, view of Mount Hood, unobstructed. Okay. Mm-hmm. So eventually, um, fairly recent, I had to, uh, it was time to give the house up. It was obviously time, and it was there for multiple reasons in the long story. But how I found, I went through a period where I had no idea where I was going next, and this was fairly recent. It was reflected in the show because it was kind of calmed down for a while. And mm. I basically, well, I was traveling in the country um, between two sign makers, literal makers of signs, <laughs> And I had envisioned this ahead of time where I thought, I want to find a little country home for rent and a sign out front. And and as I was traveling on a volunteer thing I was doing between two makers of signs, there was the sign in front of this Mm. house, which from the road, it doesn't look like much. 
oh my gosh, I mean, it looks, I mean, it's a little country house. Uh-huh. I will tell you what, and I ended up renting it, you know, and it's a wonderful situation. Um, it's paradise. It is the most incredible mm. thing. It's it's way better than the dream house. <laughs> right. It's right. Like a, in fact, I'm renting yes. here in a place I could never really, oh, I don't want to say never, but I don't really need to buy, you know, right now land like this. But here I am on this land, you know, I go out at night and I gasp. Like it was clear last. It's not always clear in the Pacific Northwest. The moon was out last, and yet the stars were still clear. And I'm having this relationship with the night that I never, I haven't had since I was a child, because I have a dog mm. that brings me out. You know, she's an older dog, so she has to go out at unpredictable times. And here we are out oh. in the night, <laughs> and it's like, wow. So let's use this as an entry point. Um, because connecting to nature, and that is has been pivotal for me in recent years, and and how that relates to this word shamanism, which we're almost more than halfway through, and we haven't even really <laughs> defined it because we're just flowing. Yeah. So a quick definition of shamanism, and these vary, but the shamanism is a made-up word. There's there was no such thing back centuries ago that anyone would have recognized if you used the word shaman. It's a, it's a modern term that was created by an anthropologist, um, Michael Harner, um, and uh, to um, describe a, a set of characteristics that he found were similar across any indigenous cultures related to their spiritual practices uh, and beliefs. And, the term itself is a real word. It was borrowed from the, um, a Siberian um, ethnic group, um, the Tungzit people. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing it right. And, and it simply, shaman simply meant, or saman, meant uh, one who sees or one who perceives. And so Western kind of scientific thinking borrowed that word and used it to describe a bundle of sticks, so to speak, characteristics that were believed to be common across cultures that had to do with these earth-honoring religious practices. In other words, the, the whole core of indigenous people, whether they were North American indigenous Indians or whether they were aboriginals um, or in Africa or Asia, all seemed to have some common ways of understanding the human's relationship with nature and spirit and uh, as the... Um, Lakota people refer to it as all our uh, kins, all our kinship. So um, shamanism <laughs> is yeah. a modern kind of name for practices that hark back way before um, modern understandings. And, and just a quick word about that. You know, a lot of, especially Americans, uh, European originated Westerners who tend to think of ourselves when we think way back, we think Polish or German or Norwegian or Spanish or Italian. And, and those, of course, are rather modern political designations that are kind of like toddlers in terms of the whole spectrum of, of human civilization, which goes back at least 100,000 years. So um, there were people, <laughs> civilizations and spiritualities around, of course, before the Jewish tradition before the Christian tradition before the, the Muslim tradition. So that's what we're talking about. 
in a very, very general way is common characteristics. So shamanism and my book is an attempt to bring into modern world uh, through my own learnings and experiences and travels some of the practical um, um, ways of thinking and living and, um, and giving thanks to our creator that will be more sustainable because things aren't going real well with humans and the earth and, and we've lost these things. It's, it's precisely that which was discounted or ignored or killed off um, in our great uh, March West as Europeans across the U.S. continent, or the North American continent, that um, is what we need, is what we need, I say in the book. You know, if we're going to survive what we're doing here to our mother, the earth, we're going to need to think a whole lot more like our indigenous ancestors than like technicians and scientists because we've lost the core um, balance and appreciation for, for the earth. So that's a long-winded answer to, I think, your question about shamanism. Did I, was I close? Yes, well, you did very well. <laughs> but, <laughs> and you actually lead me to, to ask you, I mean, um, when we talk about our relationship to the earth, you know, here we've been spending time at the, the first part of this show talking about our busy lifestyles, our corporate lifestyles, rushing and you know, doing whatever yeah. we're doing. But yeah. we are also detached from how those things are impacting the earth. And I will also say one of the things that has been showing up for me a lot when I evaluate something, for example, um, thinking, you know, do I... Do I do this or that? You know, the not this business. If something is particularly harmful to the earth, I, I can't be a part of it anymore. You know, and there. So, mm. so I guess. Yeah. Uh huh. So the question becomes, um, you know, in our drivenness, it's not just personal, Jeff. And you point this. It's not just a personal thing. What is personal? We're connected to everything. We're connected yeah. to the earth. So how does that yeah. help us, knowing that, Jeff? How do you help teach people to make the choices from the heart that are earth-based and then also fulfilling personally? Thank you for that beautiful question. So here's where I'm at lately. When I first started doing this work and was creating my own practice in shamanic healing, I was doing a lot of workshops, you know, like, and they were easy to do. It wasn't hard to get people to come to these. There's a tremendous interest and hunger in this. But, you know, it tended to be, of course, in, you know, like conference centers or retreat centers or classrooms at universities or a community center. So we're inside <laughs> in a fluorescent lit climate controlled space talking about a relationship with nature. It was almost a joke because it's one thing to have an understanding of these. And it's another thing to have an actual physical encounter with nature and so the longer i do this work the more i'm doing fewer of the sort of workshoppy talky things and trying to just get people outside which is yeah. unbelievably difficult whether it's children and parents fear of you know nature and bugs and and germs and wild animals or adults just being completely never like been out of town or never thought of doing something outside the winnebago you know it's difficult. But one of the good things 
is when you can get people outside in the wind, in the snow, in the sun, in the rain, in the heat, in the cold, and yes, even in the bugs, is it awakens instincts and powers, I would say, that you didn't know you had that are precisely what we need to make it through our busy, hectic lives and break the trance. I'll give you a quick example, a simple one. So I do a lot of wilderness work, and as a younger man, I went out in the wilderness a lot by myself. Um, for example, the Boundary Waters Canoe Area of northern Minnesota's pristine, gorgeous area of thousands of lakes on the Canada border. And when you're camping out alone in a wilderness area, there are no bathrooms, of course, and there aren't any porta potties, and there aren't even any holes in the ground. And <laughs> you learn real quick how much poop and pee you leave throughout the day because you have to deal with seeing it. You have to see your urine draining into the ground. You have to see your poop on the earth. And Johnny, like, of course, several times a day we're doing this if we're healthy. And so in the book I write, you know, when you're in nature living more like an indigenous person, you know where your poop goes. And I know this sounds distasteful, but I'm sorry, we're talking about shamanic life here, is it changes you. When you realize you are like an animal, no different from the bobcat or the wolf or the bear or a snake, that, that opens something in you that you didn't have to think about before. And so then you go back to your regular life and you walk into your bathroom and you do your business and you flush the toilet and it's gone. It's like it's just you don't have to deal with it anymore. But where does it go? And then you extrapolate right. that to all this stuff. We do. Where does the oil go that you have your service company remove from your car when you take it in for service? Where does that end up? Do you know? But what about those antibiotics you flushed down the toilet last night? You know where those go? Yeah, they go down the toilet. But where do they go after that? Right. Well, I don't know. They go to the place treatment plant. Well, <laughs> they test our water, you know, and there's all kinds of things that they find trace amounts of birth control medications and antibiotics and all kinds right. of stuff in our drinking water. So getting people outdoors starts to make connections, vital connections that we've been um, dissociated from, to use a psychological term, that utterly dissociated from our impact on the natural world around us. And, and I'm, I'm phrasing this kind of negatively, but there's a beautiful life-giving side to that, too. The same thing happens when you're out there in terms of opening us, just standing in the sunshine and feeling the warmth on your skin again. Or like you say, where you're living now, I believe, is you see the stars, you see the night. And I only glimpse this them. I'm still too close to the city, but I start to see them, yes. Yeah. <laughs> And this is this is I mean, this is uh, yeah. I don't. I'm I'm a big passionate talker about climate change. I'm worried about the earth, and and there's yeah. no, I don't think anybody gets out of the bed in the morning and goes, I want to you know heat up the earth more. I want to live a life that's going to harm the earth. Nobody does that. Everybody's at core, I think, a good person. The problem is though, we're not conscious of the impact of our life. And one more quick example that hit home to me some years ago. I brought up a Toyota Prius hybrid car. And I was very proud of myself because of the fuel mileage and the change I'd made from my old car. And my buddy, Will, who's a lot smarter than me and kind of a techie guy, he's like, well, Jeff, I'm glad you got that car. But you understand that the amount of energy it took to manufacture that car and the copper and the titanium (laughs) and the aluminum and the Uh rubber and the plastic and the glass and the wiring harnesses, 
if you just you'd have to drive that car 20 years to repay the debt you put on this earth in just the manufacture of it. And, you know, he took kind of the wind out of my sails, but that's yeah. part of the trance of our culture, believing that we can like buy our way through cleaner technology into a better relationship with the earth. And it's not going to work like that. We need different people, more heart open people who think more like indigenous cultures is what I say in the book. You know, and something, there is an illusion to how we live because in a heartbeat, um, not to, to be, you know, bringing up fear-based scenarios, but in a heartbeat, it can change. I mean, look what's going mm. on in Los Angeles right now. I just heard of yes. someone whose entire compound just burned to the ground. I mean, there's some beautiful, Ojai has been burning. There are these beautiful places that are burning in the area, but... In any case, yeah. anything can happen. There have been these hurricanes that have been coming. Through. I mean, it's crazy. Even here, yeah. we can't even get to Multnomah Falls anymore now because of the fires that happened last oh, summer. Oh, really? So, oh, my gosh. That's right. It's, it, you can't go up there now. There was a huge fire. In any case, what I'm getting at here is we rely on these things. Um, we had an ice storm here some years ago, and everything shut down. Right, in Portland. And boy, <laughs> yes. you learn really fast. You know, hey, if you don't have certain things, I mean, it's not even having things. It's like we don't know. We are, we're like children. Um, it's like in the yes. Avatar movie. There's a good, a good yes. analogy. He's wander, yes. wandering through, and she's like, you're a baby. <laughs> yes. And we're babies. I mean, it's almost kind of frightening that we really are, in terms of our reliance, in, on a culture that does not sustain us, we are babies in terms of of um, of just not getting it. Now, there's another way of looking at being a child, which is filled with innocence and wonder and connection. That's a mm-hmm. different kind of a baby. <laughs> but but here, you see what I'm getting at is that you know we're missing the point. It's it's not we're standing on on ground that isn't even as solid as we think it is from our modern civilization. Yes, thank you. I often think of that very line in Avatar, thank you, yeah, where she's kind of, uh-huh. you're acting like a child. You're exactly right. And I, I just want to say, if anybody's wondering, I'm not advocating in the book or in this interview, of course, that modern humans go back to the Stone Age, even if we wanted to, that right. wouldn't work. Right. That's not what we're talking about. But I think part of what we're talking about is simplifying our lives being way more conscious of the impact of just our day-to-day nice lives on the earth. Not talking about harming it, but just, you know, I assume you've got a light on somewhere in your, where you're talking to me on the phone. Well, where's that energy coming from? What had to be burned to create that electricity and so on? And then just all the ways that we get crazy trying to protect our stuff. And uh, I I often think from an indigenous, I I spent a lot of time um, on Pine Ridge Indian Reservation. And if if some of your listeners know, it's the most impoverished county in the entire United States out in South Dakota. But the people have these beautiful open spirits that's just just intoxicating. And having to drive back from several weeks on the res, as they refer to it out there, back into like a big city like Chicago, is heartbreaking. Because you see the heaviness and the burden and the trance of 
you know, being stuck on the Ryan Expressway. And then you turn yeah. on the TV and you see all the things we have to do to protect our stuff from handguns, to protect our mental health and anti-anxiety medications, you know, that someone might break into our house and steal what? Our precious blender or our Keurig, <laughs> you know? Yeah. We're doing this yeah. for ourselves. And to yeah. try to think and live a life more simple, more attuned to the earth and Cycles of nature, I think, could be tremendously healing without having to go back to the Stone Age. You know, if we could offer something in the time that we have left, I know there's a part in your book that really touched my heart. In fact, I put a couple stars. It's a simple thing where this business of getting out for a walk and the way you describe it, how... You follow the heart path. It's not by getting all the chores done first, because if we try to get all the chores done first, we're never going to leave our home. Um, Or whenever Mm -hmm. we find, you know, this this fits in. Um, I know there are people who are working in corporate jobs, and and it may seem difficult to, to get out, but you know what? There are opportunities even there, and we need to be creating more. That's another thing is we can consciously, as managers and um, because I was involved in, in some things when I was in the corporate world. It was actually trending in a positive way. I, mean, I had positive experiences. There wasn't all negative. Um, but, you know, we are waking up in some ways in the corporate world and saying, hey, you know, people need opportunities to to get outside. So so this notion of getting outside and not always feeling, but I can't, I can't, i got to do this, 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 this. You know, I can't go for a while. I can't do that. How do we get past that? Yeah, thank you. Uh, it's amazing the power of just getting outside. I mentioned in the book, I think, that uh, I've, I've struggled my whole life with the kind of general anxiety that I've never understood until fairly recently. And one of the most powerful antidotes I found to that was simply to get my feet on the ground in the morning and get outside. Like, don't yeah. open the paper. Don't check Facebook. Don't turn on the TV. Don't just get physically outside in a minute, no matter what's going on outside hot, cold, rainy, snow, sun, it doesn't matter. Like, like suddenly it's activating all of my human and, dare I say, animal resources, kind of awakening the inner jaguar, so to speak, instead of the lazy fat cat in slippers in a bathroom that's complaining it can't lose five pounds every day. You get outside and, it, it just, and just breathe. And even, I live in the inner cities. So I'm talking like I'm living in the Colorado Rockies. But uh-huh. Uh-huh. inner city of South Bend, Indiana, but in the morning, no matter what time of year. So just getting outside is an intervention. Because that's what we're talking about is trying to break this trance that we're all in, believing that we don't have time to do that. That's the trance, that belief that it's not important enough or essential enough compared to what? Running to the mall to get more Christmas cards and gifts for people who don't need more stuff. There's a line in the, in the book I say something like, it's a little subheading, but if you want to change your life, you have to change your life, right? Uh, it's not a game. It's yeah. not just reading a book about changing your life or attending a support group or watching a series of DVDs on changing your life. You have to do yeah. something different. And it doesn't have to be a radical new program or leaving your family or going off in some retreat in a distant island for for a week it's simply stepping outside 
And instead of sitting in the cafeteria with your peers complaining about your boss or the union or the price of milk or whatever, of doing something different, which as I'm advocating given the context of shamanic work is reconnecting with nature. And so going outside not for cardiovascular exercise, which just sounds like a chore, you know, outside to just be outside like a kid and with child's eyes, you know, start, look at the bugs. (laughs) You don't have to step on everything that's got more legs than you do. You know, look at the sky, the birds. It sounds so simple, I know. It, It sounds simplistic. But this kind of thing is the core of some powerful mindfulness practices by people like Thich Nhat Hanh, the the Buddhist monk and teacher, who has this lovely, simple walking meditation I mentioned in the book, that it simply involves as you're walking wherever, through the park, down the sidewalk, reciting some very simple lines to call your attention to your senses. So as you walk, what am I hearing? Oh, now your mind is no longer thinking about getting Christmas cards. It's thinking about birds or a, a siren or a barking dog. But that's pretty good because now you're back in your body at least. And then what are you smelling? And then what is your breath doing? And then finally, just being aware of your feet on the earth, on our mother underneath us. And now you've got a connection to something much bigger and more real than all of the anxieties and constructs in our heads. So it's simplistic. It's simple, but it's not simplistic. It can, I yeah. think, frankly, save our lives, especially this time of year in, <laughs> in Christmas shopping mode of, of it, it, doing something different. That there is a huge distinction between simplicity and, and, and it being simplest. Just as there's a distinction between being childish Childlike, because yes, exactly. what you invite is that wonder, and um, and you know I know we're running out of time, but I have to put in one more thing. I know personally, Jeff, I had trouble walking on treadmills and things like that. But then when yeah. I was encouraged by um, someone who was giving me some some counseling to um, to go outside more, um, that I started walking farther that's the other thing it's like you walk like two miles just like that and at some point um even five miles because and if someone had told me you're going to walk five miles on this treadmill it was like no way (laughs) right right (laughs) no way and and nature the minute i walk out on a trail and i do this quite regularly i start breathing deeper I, all I have to do is walk out there, and I start breathing. So it's wonderful, and I know we're running out of time, and I just want to thank you so much. And it won't cut us off, but our live show is running out of time. Um, I just uh, want to thank you, Jeff, for, for this time, for your book. You've only brushed the surface of it. And um, I want you to be able to tell people where they can find you, the best place, I guess, for for more information. And thank you from my heart. Oh, thank you, Susan. You're very sweet. And I just really, I can sense your own strong spirit and your own light. So I'm so tickled. It sounds to me like you found your medicine, so to speak. So um, (laughs) people can find me quite easily just online. My website is greatplainsguide.com. That's greatplainsguide.com. 
net, and or they can email me directly at greatplainsguide at gmail.com. So I thank you for having me. Well, thank you for being here. Um, I I really do look forward to spending more time with your book because it is the kind of book that that really teaches us to make changes and to keep making the changes, even if we feel we've been on that path, to keep making the changes that will help us to live more in alignment with who we truly are. So, So thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you, Susan, for having me and, and helping me get word about my book out there. It's a real blessing. Absolutely. It's a blessing to have you. Take care now. Thanks, Susan. Bye-bye. And my best to Portland Bye. in the Northwest. Bye. Yes, thank you. Um, just to quick that we're in the podcast now, as I said to Jeff, we don't get cut off. Those of you who have been listening to this all along have been with us all along. I recognize your energy across time. I always want to say that. You're here with us. You've been with us. I can feel you with us whenever you're listening. And um, some of you will listen quite soon after the show goes out. I know that. And I'm just, the next show is not defined yet in time because I had a wonderful taped interview because we were experimenting with technology to Europe um, with Irvin Laszlo and it was incredible it was just a wonderful conversation I have to tell you in the heart space and I'm I'm just so happy to be bringing that out and that will come out next week um, I'll, I'll have a live show that I'll define and then I'll play um, that interview for you which I know you're all going to enjoy so Look to FrontierBeyondFear.com. This show will be highlighted there for for basically forever in the archive, but for some time on that page. And then all the links that you need to find Jeff's book and his website will be out there and all the recent guests. And then anything coming up, we'll be quieting things down a little bit during the holiday season. I hope that you all find a chance to, to slow down and enjoy your time with family and in nature. I'll be getting out into nature. I know that. Um, so thank you, everyone, for being here. And um, get outside wherever you are. You have a chance. What does it mean to have a chance? We just talked about that. I think I'm going to do just that. Thank you so much, everyone. Thank you.